Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Today I'm going to be reading you a chapter from the second Nanny Piggins book. It's called Nanny Piggins and the Wicked Plan. And I'm going to be reading you chapter three, Jewel at Dead Man's Gorge. Here we go. Nanny Piggins and the children were on their hands and knees, recarpeting the living room. I know this sounds like a very industrious thing to do, but I should explain that the only reason they were recarpeting the room was because they had tested to see if sulfuric acid really would burn a hole through the floor, like they had seen in a movie. And their experiment had been 100% successful. Having completed the experiment, however, it then occurred to them that Mr Green might not be too impressed with the results. He seemed to be inordinately fond of this bland brown floor covering. He always lost his temper if anyone made a mud slippery slide on it or trod custard pie into the fibres. So having tried and failed to hide the hole with a vase of flowers, the 300-year-old antique vase simply dropped through the hole and smashed into the basement. Nanny Piggins decided on re-carpeting. Fortunately, they found a piece of carpet that fit perfectly in Miss Smith's living room. She was an elderly spinster who lived across the road. They borrowed Miss Smith's carpet without asking. I know this sounds an awful lot like stealing, but really, it was just borrowing. Nanny Piggins was perfectly prepared to return the carpet if it ever occurred to Miss Smith to ask her whether the carpet stapled to their floor was in fact her own. As luck would have it, this never became an issue. When Miss Smith returned from bingo at the church hall and discovered that her living room was now carpetless, she was delighted. She thought some good Samaritan had polished her floorboards, and because Miss Smith loved ballroom dancing, floorboards were much better as far as she was concerned. So Nanny Piggins, Derek, Samantha and Michael were just stapling down the last corner of Miss Smith's bright purple rug using Mr Green's desk stapler when they heard a pounding at the front door. Who could that be? asked Nanny Piggins. It can't be the truancy officer, said Michael. He knew this for a fact because he had seen Nanny Piggins tie Miss Britches to the filing cabinet in her office earlier that morning, using nothing but the wool unraveled from her own cardigan. That cardigan had it come in. It was a hideous pink with bunny buttons all down the front. No, she never could have undone all those knots this quickly, agreed Nanny Piggins. Perhaps it's a door-to-door salesman, suggested Samantha. No, they don't come anymore, said Nanny Piggins sadly. You bite one salesman and they all hold it against you. He brought it on himself, comforted Derek. He promised to make your whites whiter. He deserved to suffer the consequences. The pounding at the door started up again. Well, there's only one way to find out who it is, said Nanny Piggins. We'll just have to go to the living room and peek through the window. Or we could always just answer the door, suggested Samantha. Oh yes, I suppose we could try that too, conceded Nanny Piggins. And so, without any peeking through the window, the letterbox, the keyhole, or using the spy camera attached to the roof, Nanny Piggins flung open the front door to see who was there and immediately regretted it. For there, on the doorstep, was an angry-looking armadillo. 
Now, if you do not know what an armadillo looks like, I had better describe it, because an armadillo is the type of animal that if no one told you what it looked like, you would never guess. It is most peculiar. It looks like a pig going to a costume party dressed as a tank. Like a pig, an armadillo has short legs and a snout, but unlike a pig, an armadillo is covered in a leathery hard shell. So anyway, that's what an armadillo looks like. So this armadillo, without any introduction or explanation, immediately tried to slap Nanny Piggins across the face with a glove. Fortunately, however, Nanny Piggins was an eighth Dan black belt in Taekwondo. Her self-defence reflexes were so super fast, she could not have let an armadillo slap her across the face even if she wanted to. She just blocked the slap. The armadillo tried to slap her again and again and again, but each time Nanny Piggins deftly blocked the blow. Would you just hold still and let me slap you, for goodness sake, said the exasperated armadillo. Why? asked Nanny Piggins. She could not see any good reason why she should let an armadillo slap her, but she was prepared to be open-minded. Because I am trying to challenge you to a duel, said the armadillo. You're what? said Nanny Piggins, beginning to believe that armadillos were as peculiar as they looked. Oh, I understand, said Samantha. You do, said Nanny Piggins, Derek and Michael in unison, because they certainly didn't. In the olden days, if you wanted to challenge someone to a duel, you slapped them in the face with a glove, explained Samantha. Did you learn that at school, asked Nanny Piggins, begrudgingly beginning to feel the first dawning of respect for the education system. No, I learnt it from reading lots of historical romance novels, admitted Samantha. Then it must be true, decided Nanny Piggins, because she had a lot more respect for romance writers than she did for teachers. The child is correct, declared the armadillo. My name is Eduardo Montabianco, and I have travelled here all the way from Mexico to challenge you to a duel. Why? asked Nanny Piggins. Did you steal his true love or dishonour his family name? questioned Samantha. That's the reason they usually have duels in novels. I don't think so, said Nanny Piggins, but I am very glamorous. Sometimes I have a powerful effect on people without even realising. Once, the head coach of the Chinese gymnastics team saw me being fired out of a cannon and was so impressed with my athleticism and grace, she immediately went home to China and made all her gymnasts put on 20 kilos by eating doughnuts. Did it improve their performance at gymnastics, asked Michael. No, they enjoyed the doughnuts so much they all ran away to work in doughnut shops, admitted Nanny Piggins, but they were very happy. I am challenging you to a duel, interrupted Eduardo, because you claim to be the greatest flying animal in all the world. So, said Nanny Piggins, perfectly confident that this was true. It is a lie, declared Eduardo, for I am the greatest flying animal in all the world. Now, if you were paying attention, you might at this point question how either a pig, Nanny Piggins, or an armadillo, Eduardo Montebianco, could possibly claim to be the greatest flying animal in all the world when there are so many animals that have wings, for instance, birds. But you have to understand, for circus folk, a flying animal that uses wings is just cheating. It would be like the bearded lady sticking a toupee to her chin, or the trapeze artists wrapping themselves in bubble wrap in case they fall, or the strongman getting a friend to help him lift things. When Nanny Piggins and Eduardo talk about the greatest flying animal, they both mean the same thing, being fired out of a cannon, which is something to boast about, because being fired out of a cannon is really difficult, whereas flapping wings is really simple if you've got them.
Now back to the story. Nanny Piggin's eyes narrowed. You, she said, managing to compact an enormous amount of contempt into that one short word. Yes, I, said Eduardo, for I too belong to a circus, and I too am fired out of a cannon, and it offends me to have a mere woman and a mere pig claiming to be better than me. Really, said Nanny Piggins, as she looked over the armadillo from head to toe, trying to decide which part of him she was going to bite first. Yes, really, said Eduardo, so I challenge you to a duel, to prove once and for all that I am the greatest animal aviationist alive. This is just a showing-off way of saying flying animal. Okay, said Nanny Piggins, deciding that the armadillo's plated shell looked too difficult to bite, and that she would be content with punishing him another way. Where and when? Tomorrow morning at dawn, declared Eduardo. Fine, said Nanny Piggins, even though, in her opinion, the only decent thing to do at dawn was be asleep. We shall align our cannons side by side, then fire them to see who goes the furthest, continued the armadillo. All right, said Nanny Piggins. It sounded simple enough to her. And then, to make things interesting, added Eduardo, we will fire our cannons across. He paused here for dramatic effect. Dead man's gorge. No, gasped all three green children. What's Dead Man's Gorge? asked Nanny Piggins. She was not sure if it was a geographical feature or something you found in the pocket of a man who had died from eating too much. Dead Man's Gorge is two cliff faces, either side of a gaping 219-foot drop into the sea, announced Eduardo as melodramatically as only a Latin American can. Oh, said Nanny Piggins, as she mentally tried to picture what 219 feet looked like. A few quick sums gave her the answer. A 20-storey building, or to put it in terms of food, which is how Nanny Piggins always preferred to think of maths, 219-foot-long hot dogs laid out end to end. Do you accept my challenge, little pig? asked Eduardo rudely. Or will you simply surrender any claim you have made to the title of world's greatest flying animal? Let me answer you like this, said Nanny Piggins. She picked up the glove, slapped Eduardo hard across the face and slammed the front door in his snout before he had time to blink. She had yet to prove that she could fly further than Eduardo, but she certainly had much quicker reflexes than any armadillo. So Nanny Piggins and the green children sat with their backs to the front door, thinking, or in Samantha's case, worrying, because that's what she did whenever she thought. What are we going to do, worried Samantha. She didn't want to see her nanny plummet 219 feet into the sea, or worse still, plummet 219 feet onto the rocks next to the sea. You could lay out mattresses on the rocks, suggested Michael. You could use a parachute, suggested Derek. You could run away, suggested Samantha. Hmm, said Nanny Piggins, as she concentrated hard. Beating a flying armadillo shouldn't be too difficult. But you can't do it, said Samantha. You don't have a cannon, and your old circus is miles away. And even if it wasn't, the ringmaster would never lend you his cannon. The children had met the ringmaster, so they knew he was a very wicked man indeed. Piffle, said Nanny Piggins. Finding a cannon is the easiest thing in the world. It is, said Derek, who would not mind having access to a cannon for dealing with Barry Nichols, the school bully. Of course, said Nanny Piggins. They always have them at war museums. The children could not deny this because there were indeed several large cannons outside the war museum in town. But they aren't for people to use, said Samantha. Of course they are, said Nanny Piggins. Why else would they leave them outside if they didn't want people to borrow them? Um, said Samantha, as she tried to think of a better explanation, then realised there wasn't one. 
But if we take a cannon from the war museum, won't the war veterans think that's very rude, asked Derek. If you had survived some bloodthirsty and horrific war, would you rather see a cannon stuck outside a museum where grubby children and tourists climb all over it or a dead man's gorge blasting a pig further than any pig has ever been blasted before? The children had to assume that, like them, the veterans would want to see the flying pig. So later that day, Nanny Pickens and the children caught the bus into town and went to borrow a cannon. They took Boris with them because if you're planning to move a gigantic cannon, it is handy to have a 700-kilogram bear with you to help with the heavy lifting. There were several cannons to choose from outside the War Museum, so Nanny Piggins picked the biggest, her usual policy when choosing anything. Now you might think that security guards, the police, or even just good-hearted bystanders would stop this borrowing from taking place in broad daylight. But as it turns out, the sight of a pig, a bear, and three children taking a cannon from outside the War Museum was so strange that no one thought to challenge them. Now, I must make one thing clear. Nanny Piggins does not encourage theft. She knows stealing is wrong. It is always, always wrong. But borrowing is okay. And as Nanny Piggins always says, if you must borrow something without asking, do it in broad daylight. It gives it a veneer of respectability. There was some trouble getting the cannon home. It was a World War I 15-inch howitzer and weighed about six tonnes, so there was no way it was going to fit through the door of the bus. Plus, they were not sure if the bus driver would give a cannon a ticket. Nanny Piggins thought they should if they allowed baby pushchairs on the bus, but the children suspected that the bus driver would see baby pushchairs and cannons as belonging to two separate categories. Fortunately, the dilemma was solved when Nanny Piggins had a brilliant idea. She got Derek to distract the bus driver by pretending he had been bitten by a venomous snake. And while he writhed on the floor in pretend pain, Nanny Piggins took the belt off her dress and tied the cannon to the back bumper of the bus. So the cannon was dragged back to the greenhouse without any problem, although the bus did not get above five kilometres an hour the whole way. Back at home, Nanny Piggins, Boris and the children considered what to do next. We've got a cannon, said Derek. So is that it? Are you all ready for the duel? Not quite, admitted Nanny Piggins. I haven't been blasted out of a cannon for months. I'm out of shape. Boris patted Nanny Piggins comfortingly on the hand. I didn't like to say anything, but I'm glad you know. What shape do you need to be to be blasted out of a cannon, asked Michael, thinking of the shapes he had learnt about in geometry, squares, circles and trapezoids. That's not the shape she means, explained Samantha. When someone says they're out of shape, they mean they haven't been exercising. No, said Nanny Piggins, contradicting her. When I say I'm out of shape, I mean I'm out of shape. My shapes become all lean and skinny. To be a flying pig, you need to be rounder. Really, said Derek as he looked at Nanny Piggins. His nanny already ate more than a football team, trapped in a lift for three days with nothing to eat but a packet of breath mints. He could not begin to imagine how much she would consume if she was actually trying to gain weight. Oh, yes, if I'm going to be blasted an enormous distance tomorrow morning, I must immediately start eating, said Nanny Piggins. You see, it's all to do with physics. You remember what I taught you about Isaac Newton? He was the man who invented gravity, said Michael, which is why it hurts if an apple falls on your head. Exactly, said Nanny Piggins. Newton also said that force equals mass times acceleration. What does that mean, asked Derek? It means that if you're fat, you'll fly further, explained Nanny Piggins. Really, asked Samantha. She did not know much about physics, but she was pretty sure it was more complicated than that. Of course I'm sure, said Nanny Piggins. 
Plus, the fat helps cushion your landing if you miss your target, added Boris. Now quick, Samantha, instructed Nanny Piggins. You'd better call Hans at the bakery. What should I tell him to send around, asked Samantha. The truck, said Nanny Piggins, stocked full of everything from the shop. And tell him to start baking as many cakes as his oven will take. This is an emergency. And so Hans baked and baked, and Nanny Piggins ate and ate, and the children watched with awed fascination. Perhaps more than all the other things their nanny did brilliantly, Nanny Piggins was phenomenally good at eating. It was a sight to behold. If eating was an Olympic sport, Nanny Piggins would have been the gold medalists every time. Which is probably the only reason they do not have eating at the Olympics, because they do not want the athletes to feel bad about being beaten by a lady pig. By the time they arrived at Dead Man's Gorge the next morning, Nanny Piggins had certainly managed to get herself back in shape. She looked almost exactly like a huge, round, pink bullet. She had never had much of a neck, but what little neck there was had now disappeared entirely. The children and Boris pushed their borrowed cannon into position next to Eduardo's. Nanny Piggins could not help. She was too busy rolling on the ground, groaning, because of all she had eaten. I am surprised you're here, said Eduardo. I expected you to run away and cower in fear. Oh, shut up, said Nanny Piggins, because for some reason overeating exhausts the part of the brain that thinks of clever things to say. Shall we begin, asked Eduardo. I'm ready if you are, said Nanny Piggins, which actually turned out to be untrue. For a start, it took a while to get Boris to stop clutching Nanny Piggins to his chest and sobbing, Please don't do it! It's too dangerous! (laughs) Then there was another hitch. Eduardo climbed easily into the barrel of his cannon. After all, he was still working in the circus and was used to being blasted five times a night. Nanny Piggins, however, was out of practice. When she tried to get into her barrel, she soon discovered she'd been a little overzealous about getting into shape. You don't fit, worried Samantha. Oh, thank goodness. Let's go home, said Boris. Yes, I do, argued Nanny Piggins, because she might be out of practice, but she still knew a thing or two about pig ballistics. Fetch me a big tub of butter. Fortunately, they had a huge tub of butter in Mr Green's car. Nanny Piggins kept it there for emergencies, such as suddenly coming across hot cross buns that urgently needed to be eaten. Now smear it all over me, ordered Nanny Piggins. So the children and Boris set to work buttering Nanny Piggins. It took longer than you might expect because Nanny Piggins got peckish and could not resist licking it off. It was not until Michael found a two-year-old out-of-date chocolate bar down the back seat of Mr Green's car that they were able to distract Nanny Piggins long enough to finish buttering her up. Are you sure this is going to work, asked Derek. Of course I'm sure, said Nanny Piggins. And she was right. Although it did take all her strength and an enormous amount of shoving from all three children and Boris to jam her into the barrel. And you call yourself a flying pig, scoffed Eduardo. I'll be calling myself winner as you eat my dust in a minute, said Nanny Piggins in a muffled voice from deep inside the cannon. And so the moment of truth arrived. Samantha was going to do the countdown while Derek and Eduardo's assistant, Sanchez, the Guatemalan guinea pig, stood by, ready to fire the cannons. Five, four, three, two, one, said Samantha as she clamped her eyes shut because she could not bear to look. Bam! went the cannons as they fired loudly, blasting the two animals into the air. Eduardo shot cleanly out of his cannon and made a perfect parabolic arc in the sky. It was a beautiful flight, and very long. Sadly, not quite long enough to get him all the way across Dead Man's Gorge. 
He was only 20 centimetres short of the other side. But 20 centimetres is a long way when there is a 219-foot drop below. Ah! said Eduardo as he realised he'd made a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake. But as it turns out, he was lucky. Michael had complete faith in his nanny, but he did not have the same amount of faith in the 90-year-old howitzer or the prevailing headwind she was being blasted into. So he had, unbeknownst to Nanny Piggins, snuck out in the night and put his mattress at the bottom of Dead Man's Gorge. So rest assured, Eduardo did not plummet to his death. He plummeted to his wet because he fell all the way down, hit the mattress, bounced off and landed in the cold, wintry sea, which would be unpleasant for anyone, but was particularly unpleasant for a desert-living armadillo from Mexico who was not used to cold weather. Now, I should tell you what happened to Nanny Piggins. Unfortunately, it is not exactly clear. It turns out, for those of you who know a thing or two about physics, you might be familiar with this, that the tighter you pack the barrel of a cannon, the further the blast goes. So if you fire a pig that only fits into a cannon with the aid of five litres of butter, three small children and a bear, then that pig is going to fly a very long way, especially if that pig is not particularly good at maths and she has particular difficulty with decimal places so that instead of putting 0.02 kilos of gunpowder into the cannon Nanny Piggins put 20 kilos of gunpowder into the cannon. For those of you who do not like decimals either this means she used 1,000 times too much. Simply put when Nanny Piggins blasted out of the cannon the children had no idea where she went. All they saw was a streak of pink pink flying across the sky at the speed of light. She passed over Dead Man's Gorge and kept flying until she was a tiny pink dot disappearing over the horizon. Oh dear, said Derek. Oh no, said Samantha. Cool, said Michael. Boris did not say anything because he was too busy whimpering with his paws over his eyes. Now, never fear, Nanny Piggins was perfectly all right. She sent the children a telegram later that day to let them know she had landed safely. But they did not see her again for three days because that's how long it took her to walk back. The first thing Nanny Piggins did on returning was go to the hospital to see Eduardo. Not that there was anything wrong with him, he was just in hospital for his nerves. Falling 219 feet into the sea had really shaken him up and totally put him off cannons. So Nanny Piggins had mercy on him. Instead of biting him hard on the leg as she had originally planned, she merely slapped him hard across the face with a rubber glove that she borrowed from one of the nurses and told him to never claim to be the greatest flying anything ever again. And so Nanny Piggins, Boris and the children returned home and everything went back to normal. Nanny Piggins had lost her flying shape on the three-day walk back. She still held the title World's Greatest Flying Animal and the children had the best ever story for show and tell at school on Monday. The end. Thank you for listening to support this podcast. Just buy a book by me, R.A. Spratt. There's lots to choose from from across the Nanny Piggins, Friday Barnes and Pesky Kids series. You can order them through your local bookstore or go to my website, raspratt.com, and click on the book depository banner. They've got all my titles and free international shipping. That's it for now. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>